You're going to love this. Just love it. Welcome to the broadcast from Pacifica Radio's KPFK 90.7 in Los Angeles, 91, 90.7 FM in LA, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org, streaming live on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and... As heard five days a week on Radio Sputnik. This is Brad uh, Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com. I am told our computer has crashed. Thus, no theme song for the moment, but you've got me instead, and you've got the broadcast, the, uh, uh, the, the most important and useful radio program Ever devised by man or beast. A big show coming up for you this afternoon, this evening, whenever you may be listening to the broadcast, uh, including your calls if you like and if the computer is up and running at 818 985 5735. That's 818 985 KPFK as they reboot the computer and uh, as my as my guest today is uh, graciously taking some time out of a conference to join us at the moment. Do we have him? Because I want to get to him right away because of it. So I will fill you in on the rest of the show thereafter. But first, uh, I want to get to uh, what's going on uh, in California. Uh, This is a big development for fans of democracy in these United States, specifically out here in California, where we are. But I need to start, to get to this story, I need to start a a little bit earlier uh, this year in Oregon. And as Washington Post noted at the time, uh, Oregon Governor Kate Brown, who had previously been the Secretary of State up there in Oregon, she signed uh, into law in, uh, I believe it was March of this year, a remarkable reform, as Washington Post described it, that will sweep away one of the greatest barriers to the ballot box, the gratuitously complicated opt-in voter registration process. With uh, While much of the country is making voting more difficult, the Washington Post editorial board noted, Oregon is pushing forward with innovative voting reform that should be universally praised, they said. Other states, or better yet, federal standards, they say should follow. Basically, it is this. Oregonians who meet voting eligibility uh, rules will be automatically registered to vote when they get a driver's license or personal ID cards. We talked about it at the time on this program. This is a big advance. This is a big advance while everyone is trying to keep people from uh, registering to vote. Oregon is actually allowing people to be registered Automagically, as they say. 
The, uh, the State Department of Transportation already collects all of the basic information needed to register people, including their legal name, their age, their residence, citizen information, electronic signature, and so forth. Uh, it also regularly collects change of address information. So why not share all of that information with state officials responsible for keeping the voter rolls? Washington Post asked. It's an obvious move. Yet in doing so, Oregon became a national leader. Now, uh, Oregonians will still be able to decline registration. Uh, but making voter registration opt out rather than opt in is long overdue, said the Post. Oregon expects to register some 300,000 of its 800,000 unregistered residents immediately and thousands more as the system phases in. There is no good case for making people go through the hassle of traditional opt-in registration simply to exercise the fundamental right to vote. That was Oregon. That was Oregon earlier this year leading the way uh, and, frankly, leading, uh, leading the country uh, in, 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 well, well, we're going to talk about this because last week, late last week, the California state legislature passed a similar provision, a landmark bill, as the Brennan Center for Justice describes it, to automatically register eligible citizens to vote when they interact with the state DMV. With 6.6 million eligible but unregistered voters in the state of California, this could dramatically boost the Golden State's registration rate says Brennan Center's Mirna Perez. With one stroke of his pen, she says Governor Brown can bring California to the front of the pack. California is the third state after Oregon and even New Jersey to pass this reform. If all three implement their bills, 16 percent of the nation's population would live in states with automatic uh, registration. Uh, right after this bill passed the state legislature uh, last week, uh, we got a statement at, uh, at the Brad blog from California Secretary of State Alex Padilla, who said citizens are currently forced to opt in to their fundamental right to vote through registration. We do not have to opt in to other rights. We do not have to opt in to free speech or due process. The right to vote should be no difference, he said. So is this legislation really as good as it sounds or are there any worries about its implementation or the possibilities of fraud somehow as critics, naturally mostly Republican, but not all, suggest? Uh, to find that out, let's go to my guest, Jonathan Brader, counsel at the Brennan Center for Justice's Democracy Program. Jonathan Brader, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for taking some time out. I know you're 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 busy. You've got a, a conference ongoing even as we speak. So I'll try to make this short and sweet. Uh, so uh, so six point six million eligible voters, but unregistered voters in California. Does this mean that once this law is signed, these six point six million eligible voters will suddenly become uh, registered out here in California? Potentially, uh, yes. I mean, this is. Uh, on the verge of being the biggest expansion of the franchise in a quarter century. Um, you know, as you said, there are 6.6 million eligible but unregistered uh, citizens in California. And, of course, California um, is the largest state in the country. It also has one of the lowest registration rates in the country. Um, it, it ranks 38th 
uh, in the country in registration rate. So when you're looking at the sheer number of people who could be added to the rolls um, by moving from uh, opt-in registration to opt-out registration, uh, we could really be seeing a groundbreaking moment here. Has this been yet... Imp- I know that uh, we're waiting for Jerry Brown, uh, Governor uh, Jerry Brown out here in California, to either sign it or not, but has... Has the law that was implemented, uh, that was enacted, I should say, in uh, in Oregon, has that yet been implemented? Uh, and h- how's it going, if if so? And uh, I, I wasn't aware that New Jersey did something similar, uh, so I'd love to know the status of that one, if you happen to know, Jonathan. Sure. Well, um, Oregon is in the process of implementing um, their uh, new law. It goes into effect, um, you know, uh, in the coming months. They are uh, being very careful to make sure they have all the proper checks in place, to make sure that uh, they are only adding eligible citizens, to make sure people understand that they have the ability to opt out. Um, And they're doing a very careful process and hearing from all the stakeholders to make sure that this works. Um, After after Oregon's law was uh, uh, signed, uh, the New Jersey legislature passed an automatic registration bill similar to Oregon's, and that's now sitting on Governor Christie's desk. So if he signs it, um, that would go into law. And, of course, now that California uh, has passed a similar law, the, um, the law is now on Governor Brown's desk. And um, Governor Brown um, has spoken out on voting reform and democracy reform for years. Um, he actually, back in 1992, there's a video going around mm-hmm. uh, talking about how, you know, he's talking about how we should be putting the responsibility on the government to make sure people are registered. So now he has the chance to do just that by setting this bill. Well, yeah, now he has that chance. We'll see if he takes it. I suspect he will. But up in Oregon, so they're they're crossing their T's, they're dotting their I's. I mean, one of the things that they said, and, you know, and, and let me say this, Jonathan uh, uh, Brader, I, I, I'm no fan of... Uh, all vote by mail. And that's what they do up there in Oregon. I think it's a problem. I think it's actually a terrible idea. But when it comes to all automatic universal voter registration, to me, that makes a lot of sense if it can be safeguarded. And, uh, you know, Jonathan, I'm sure you have uh, covered, I I know you guys over at the Brennan Center have have covered the pretend concern of the Republican Party, the right-wingers about uh, voter fraud, concerns of voter fraud, uh, ignoring real concerns about things like, you know, election fraud, insider election fraud, and so forth. Uh, The the right-wing concerns of voter fraud are usually easily dismissed. Um, not so much when it comes to uh, all mail-in elections, like I mentioned they have up in Colorado, up in Oregon, also in Colorado, here in parts of California. Um, but w- when it comes to this automatic registration, does it present any legitimate concerns? It's not just Republicans that I've seen uh, concerned about how this is implemented. I've seen some Democrats concerned about this, uh, the, the way this is implemented. W- w- what's your take on this, your take and, and Brennan Center's take on this in general? Yeah, I think it's worth taking a step back and looking at our voter registration system the way it is now, the status quo. Right now, our voter registration system is a mess. There are a whole bunch of problems with our election system, but voter registration is one of the biggest. Uh, There's about 50 million people across the country who are eligible but not registered. And if you look at people who are registered, one in eight registrations nationwide, 24 million, according to Pew, 
have serious uh, errors in their registration. That could be things like they're registered at a place they no longer live, mm -hmm. their name is wrong. Um, and so the system as it stands now, it, it prevents a lot of people from participating, but it also uh, raises a lot of concerns about the integrity and accuracy of our voter rolls. Um, and one of the ways that we can improve that, um, make our voter rolls more up-to-date, more secure, and cut down on the possibility of fraud if you're concerned about that, is by replacing this old-fashioned system that re relies on uh, snail mail for voter registration, that relies on ink and paper forms mm -hmm. uh, that have to be filled out again every time somebody moves, that have to be interpreted by an election official who's not sitting there with the voter. Mm -hmm. um, that's what's causing a lot of problems. What automatic registration does is it does two, but, two small but transformative things. First, um, as we've talked about, it moves registration from an opt-in to an opt-out. And that's great because uh, you know, social science research shows that people are more likely to choose the default option, so you're going to get a lot more registration. The other thing it does, though, is it means the government will start electronically transferring voter registration information instead of using these handwritten forms uh, like we do now. So instead of having these error-prone registration forms that are causing a lot of problems in our election system, we're going to have a system that's more efficient um, and that's more secure. So if you're concerned about that, this will actually go a long way to boosting election security. Uh, well, one would think, but you could also get to that same place with, uh, you know, getting away from, uh, you know, hand handmarked uh, voter registrations. Unlike, by the way, I should uh, just so there's no confusion, handmarked paper ballots are great. Handmarked voter registration, however, can lead to confusion. And California has uh, for quite some time been trying to work out a, a statewide computerized database for registration to allow people to, uh, to register online. Wouldn't that uh, alone, Jonathan, take care of, of the problem as far as, uh, you know, misreading and having to enter by hand all of this voter registration stuff? If California just allowed people to register online, had their uh, statewide database. I mean, we are talking, uh, boy, I, about 10, 15 million uh, voters here in, in the state of California alone. Uh, if they can't do that, if they've had such a difficult time getting that up, uh, shouldn't we have concerns that uh, adding this automatic uh, opt-out registration on top of it could lead to could lead to more problems than solutions. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to find, you know, I'm in favor of this in, in principle, but, you know, there's always uh, problems that are not foreseen, and I'm trying to figure out if we could be facing them here in California with what would otherwise be a landmark uh, bill to lead the country. Well, it is true that California has lagged behind in terms of putting together its statewide voter registration database. Um, this bill would not go into effect until that database is ready, so you wouldn't have the concern about the automatic registration going you know, out ahead of the statewide database. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, you're right that having electronic transfer um, or having online voter registration, basically replacing those paper forms of electronic registration information transfer, that does give you a lot of accuracy benefit. But automatic registration takes that one step forward because um, you are going to be capturing more voter registrations um, in a more reliable way. Mm -hmm. So instead of waiting for somebody to go online and, and re-register when they move, uh, if the DMV is already collecting this information from them when they move or collecting this information from them when they become eligible, 
they already have that in one place. Um, so by having it part of that one transaction, you don't have to worry about um, updating the registration um, if somebody fills out a different registration card. Mm -hmm. It's all done in a way uh, you're going to have more people registering through the more efficient and through the more accurate method. Gotcha. And that measure, uh, this measure, will not take, uh, take effect, as you say, until the statewide uh, data uh, voter registration database is in place. Another law passed, I believe it was uh, last year, last uh, session at least, last legislative session out here in California, would allow for same-day registration uh, that you go to vote. So if you're not registered on Election Day, you can immediately register, uh, and that too would not uh, go into effect until the new computerized uh, statewide voter registration database is in place. So do we need both of these, uh, Jonathan Brader? Do we, do, we, do we still need Election Day registration at this point? Those things can complement them, uh, complement each other. I mean, so if you have, um, it's good to have an election day backstop in case there's some kind of mistake. So if there's a government error, um, it doesn't become the voters' problem when the voters mm -hmm. are on election day. Um, or you know, also this this automatic registration system is going to be only for the DMV. So for those people who don't have driver's licenses, um, same day registration could be uh, something that people could use to. Um, uh, register on election day if they hadn't had that option beforehand. Okay. It's also something that people could use if they moved without the DMV capturing that information. So these are really two important components of a modernized registration system that works for voters. Before, in the minute or two we have left, Jonathan, uh, why do we even have voter registration anyway? You know, why certainly why an uh, 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 an opt-in system, which will be changing here in New York, if Governor uh, Jerry, uh, here in California, I should say, if Governor Jerry Brown signs this bill. But uh, wh why do we even have voter registration? Isn't this really just a, a sort of a long legacy scheme to keep people from voting? Shouldn't they just automatically be uh, registered to vote once you become 18 in this country? Yes, well, voter registration does have a pretty complicated history in our country. There definitely are examples of states that introduced registration as a way of blocking people from voting. Um, it does serve a purpose, certainly, um, in states now, in, you know, uh, in terms of having um, uh, orderly election rules and things like that, although, um, you know, you don't have to have voter registration. North Dakota doesn't. Yeah, I was going to say, North Dakota, just you just yeah. walk on in and, and vote. Yeah, but uh, the point, I mean, so, so there are a, a, a variety of ways of doing it, but uh, the, the point is that, yes, I mean, a lot of voter registration procedures, such as they are, are really using 19th century technology and 19th century rules that don't have any real applicability to the way we uh, live our lives now. Um, we, you know, go online to do our banking. Um, we go online to pay our taxes. We have all these modern tools um, and there are all these ways of kind of keeping track of people's information and keeping it up to date. And it doesn't make any sense anymore to make people fill out an extra voter card, an extra ink and paper voter card to register when they're already providing their information, I know, in this case, to the DMV. Mm -hmm. Well, it, uh, it certainly makes sense for those who would like to suppress the vote. It works really, really well. It has for decades, uh, I should maybe even say centuries, uh, to keep eligible American voters from being able to cast their vote. And so if it is a little bit easier at this point out here in California, if this is implemented, if it's signed by Governor Jerry Brown, if it allows some 6.6 million currently eligible but unregistered voters to be able to take part in their democracy, 
Ultimately, I would argue that's a good thing. I suspect Brennan Center would argue the same thing. Jonathan, uh, I I really appreciate your time here today. I'll let you get back to your event. Uh, Jonathan Brader, counsel at the Brennan Center for Justice's Democracy Program. Really appreciate you joining us here today, Jonathan. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. All right. Uh, have we fi- okay? Have we fixed our computer? We have. Should we take a break or should we go uh, into my? You want a break, huh? Actually, let's. Uh, all right. Let's go ahead and take a break, and then we will come back. We will reset. We got a lot more broadcast ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. Please stay tuned. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. To your Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I think our, compu- our computers are rebooted. We'll find out. Uh, if you'd like to give us a call, I'd love to hear from you. I like to crack open the phones whenever possible when I am in studio live in uh, Pacifica Radio's KPFK. Our phone number is 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-KPFK. All right, last uh, yesterday on the uh, on the broadcast we talked about um, well, we've been talking a lot lately about uh, the climate, not just out here in California. We've been talking about the hundreds of thousands evacuated in Japan, uh, the the raging uh, wildfires up in northern California on top of this historic drought here in uh, here in California, uh, historic all time record drought out here in California. Um And with those fires, by the way, one of them uh, was uh, threatening the Ronald Reagan Library in Simi Valley, California, where tonight some 16 climate deniers, (laughs) some 16 Republican climate deniers will gather for the latest uh, GOP presidential debate, including climate denier and failed California businesswoman Carly Fiorina. I'll get to her in a moment. But we talked yesterday uh, about the uh, this one of these instances, this deadly, this horrible flash flood that occurred on the border of Utah and Arizona. At the time, there were some eight killed. Another uh, five or so were missing uh, in that incident. And now uh, some of them have been found. And there are more deaths elsewhere in Utah from that same flood, according to AP, a van and SUV carrying three women and 13 children sat near the widening stream, waiting for the water to recede so they could cross back to their homes in Hilldale, a small town on the Utah-Arizona border. But in an instant, floodwaters engulfed them and the two vehicles were sucked downstream 
in the turbulent water before they tumbled over an embankment. Only three children survived. Twelve of the 16 are dead. One is still missing. 20 miles to the north, and we talked about this uh, yesterday as well on the show, up in Zion National Park. There were no deaths at the time, but we talked about Zion and the slot canyons they have up there, where they frequently have these... um, Uh, These flash floods that are deadly, they had closed the slot canyons in Zion National Park, but apparently uh, a group of hikers, a a group from uh, California and Nevada in their 40s and 50s, had begun their hike before officials had closed the canyons that evening due to the flood warnings. Uh, And uh, so uh, flash floods, as the AP notes, are not uncommon there but that uh, officials said this was a 100-year event in Hilldale. Um, The height of the storm lasted about 30 minutes, pouring one and a half inches of rain into a desert-like landscape with little vegetation and steep slopes. Monday's weather event was like a bucket of water being poured onto a rock. It uh, slid right off and began running downstream, picking up sediment to create the forceful, muddy mess that rushed through the city. Another half inch of rain came within the hour. So an hour, an inch and a half uh, in 30 minutes. Residents called it the worst flood in memory. And uh, the group of hikers, I I, uh, forgot to mention here, uh, ended up uh, killing four people, leaving three others still missing at this point. So uh, just amazing. Uh, One of the residents uh, called the storm the heaviest that they had ever seen in the 58 years he had lived in the community. This is climate change. This is exactly what scientists have been warning us about for decades. And this is exactly what they will be denying at, uh, at the Ronald Reagan Library up in Simi Valley, being led by Carly Fiorina, the uh, failed California businesswoman. We've been talking about her a great deal of late uh, and sort of debunking her climate denial claptrap. Uh, but she's still at it. Somehow she's able to, uh, to, to, to keep forwarding this stuff and nonsense without being shamed by the corporate media. Uh, without being shamed by the uh, MSM enough to stop it. Recently, she blamed liberal politicians, quote, liberal politicians in California for our state's worst drought in recorded history. It's now being described as a 500-year drought. Other people have said a 1,000-year drought. But when uh, Carly Fiorina blamed uh, liberal politicians to Chuck, uh, Chuck Todd's credit on NBC, and that's a phrase you rarely hear, to Chuck Todd's credit, uh, he went out and actually asked Governor Jerry Brown to respond to uh, Carly Fiorina's nonsense. I asked Governor Jerry Brown to respond to that exact criticism you made. I said you blamed liberal environmentalists in California, specifically on dams and reservoirs. And this is how he responded. I've never heard of such utter ignorance. Uh, Building a dam won't do a damn thing about fires or climate change or the absence of moisture in the ground and vegetation of California. So I think these people, if they want to run for president, better do uh, kind of eighth grade science before they make any more utterances. Oh, silly Jerry Brown. They're not going to do eighth grade scientists before making any more utterances. And we will be talking about their utterances on tomorrow's program, by the way. And we'll be joined by uh, 
But by our old friend uh, Heather Digby Parton, been on this show many times. We like her a lot, uh, and a former Republican presidential candidate. He will also be uh, joining us. I won't say who it is. You'll have to tune in to tomorrow's broadcast. Yes, we do this five days a week. Uh, so I will be looking forward to that. But uh, d- despite being uh, d- embarrassed by that uh, commentary from uh, Jerry Brown, Carly Fiorina is still at it. And mo- most of the media is not doing a damn thing about it. John Harwood over at CNBC asked her, do you believe that humans contribute to climate change and that government ought to do something about it? Here was her her comment, and we don't have the audio because I don't believe it was on audio. She just uh, told him, uh, told John Harwood of CNBC this. She said, I believe if you are going to go to science, you need to read the fine print. And here's what the scientists say, says Carly Fiorina. A single nation acting alone can make no difference at all. The only answer to this problem, according to the scientists, is a three-decade global effort coordinated and costing trillions, trillions of dollars. Are you kidding? It'll never happen, says Fiorina. Desi Doyen, you are our environmental maven. Uh, what do you make of and, and she said more. I'm going to get to this uh, in a second. But uh, one so, one nation acting alone can make no difference. It's going to cost trillions of dollars over three decades. So apparently don't bother, says Carly. Uh, well, that's what's so wrong about what she said. Of course, she's accurate that one nation acting alone cannot affect the problem of climate change because it's a cumulative problem. Granted, the United States has all of the historical responsibility. We're the ones that have emitted by far the most carbon dioxide, the most greenhouse gas emissions. So, no, one nation acting alone can't do it. That's why we all have to act together. But she's presuming that the other nations will not act. And that's sort of uh, essential to the Republican Party's denial and blocking of action right now. And she's continuing to deny, even though to deny even though China uh, has come in with this amazing uh, climate plan, she poo-poos it. She says uh, they're not playing along. She Which says, is a lie. That's not true. Well, I, I, you, are you calling a Republican uh, ca- uh, candidate for president a liar, Desi Doyen? Yes, yes, I am. I am sorry to have to do that. But, yeah, I'm calling her a liar because climb, China has made this, the... this huge announcement and commitment. Now, if you ask Republicans, they'll say, no, you can't trust China. They're lying. But, of course, if you actually pay attention to history and to China's public pronouncements, when they make a big pronouncement like this, they follow through. Any China expert will tell you that. She says the answer is innovation. Uh, And the only way to innovate is for this nation to have industries strong enough that they can innovate. So instead of destroying people's livelihoods at the altar of ideology, she says... The, she calls science the altar of ideology, Des. That's uh, all she's got. W- which is what it is, not science, she says. <laughs> uh, we ought to say we're going to become the global energy powerhouse of the 21st century. Uh, we need to become the global energy powerhouse of the 21st century for so many reasons, to create jobs, to make the bad guys less bad, and so that we have industries, including the coal industry, that's powerful enough to be able to innovate. That's how we're going to solve an intractable, intractable problem. It's always the way you solve an intractable problem, not with regulation, not with regulation, but with innovation. Which is also a lie, because nothing has changed in America without a regulation being put in place. Cars, for example, seatbelts. Car industry said, no, we can't put seatbelts in. That's too expensive, except fatalities. And once we put seatbelts in... 
people were able to still afford cars and yet not die in them quite as much as they used to. So, and also the same thing with uh, with with air pollution regulations, water pollution regulations, all of those regulations, industry was not going to voluntarily curtail their pollution unless required to do so, which also created regulatory certainty and a level playing field among the entire industry that was being regulated. So everybody did it. And remember, I point this out and I point out what Carly Fiorina is saying, because remember, she's not the crazy one. She's right. supposed to be the reasonable one. She's the respectable one. When uh, when and if Donald Trump ever collapses, and I see no reason to believe that he actually will, but when and if he does, uh, you know, people are now saying, well, it's going to become uh, Ben Carson. And, of course, I think once people actually get a look at Ben Carson and see what a dope he is, that won't last. But uh, but Carly Fiorina is is not a dope. She sounds like a reasonable person until you actually pay attention to what she's saying. All right, let me get to uh, some of our calls. I got a lot more to get to today. Oh, including Desi Doyen, who will be back with us uh, with the Green News Report. Very California-centric show today. Uh, uh, so more on the all-time record heat and drought out here and the wildfires. Uh, and uh, California passing some, but not all, of a very ambitious uh, clean energy agenda. Plus, score one for the bees. Uh, and uh, one against the EPA and their approval of a bee-killing pesticide. We'll talk about that uh, in a little bit, a little bit later with uh, with Desiree. But let's get to some of your calls. 818-985-5735. Let's go to uh, let's go to Enrique in Newport Beach. Hey, Enrique, welcome to the broadcast. Oh, Enrique. No, that's Alec. I, I hit the wrong button. Let's go with Alec instead. Hey, Alec, I was uh, trying to trick you. Welcome to the broadcast. What's uh, on your mind, sir? Oh, thank you. Um, thank you for your show. I think it's important. Um, I just, I mostly agreed with what your guest speaker had to say. Mm -hmm. I differ with him on the fundamental value of paper and ink. Um, I think with the amount of hacking and electronic fraud that we've seen, I think that there is a super high and perhaps fundamental value in having um, concrete evidence of, you know, of a voter's identity or how he chooses to vote. Well, uh, certainly how he or she chooses to vote. There's no question about that. And we're actually going to be talking about this, uh, uh, well, a day or two from now, uh, because Brandon Center has also come out with a, uh, a very important uh report on the state of our voting machines in this country. Um, and so we're going to be talking about that some more. But uh, we have to separate, Alec, uh, voter registration uh, and voting. When it comes to voting, yes, we absolutely need a record of uh, a paper record that, uh, you know, doesn't degrade, that is handmarked, that can be verified, that we know it was actually it actually reflects the voter intent. But voter registration, if it is done properly, can, at least according to the uh, scientists, and I've talked to many, uh, you know, computer world class uh, experts on this. Uh, they say that voter registration is a different story, that that can be done uh, via computers. OK. Well, Does that make you feel any better about it? Um, it? It makes me feel better. I'm certainly not an expert and I haven't talked to the expert, but I, I felt like his argument was primary, primarily based on mm -hmm. convenience and just saying, like, oh, that's not how we do things nowadays. And I, <laughs> I, I don't think that's necessarily a valid argument. Well, you know what? I'll, and I'll, I'm going to pass to the next. Uh, 
speaker. All right. And, and you know what, Alec, I, thanks for your call. I, I tend to agree with you about that being a valid argument. That's why I wanted to distinguish when he said it that, you know, oh, we're not talking about uh, voting. We're talking about voter registration. And again, I've uh, spent more than a decade covering this particular beat, uh, complaining about, uh, you know, our voting systems. I will continue to do that uh, when it comes to voter registration. However, I've also, you know, broken stories about voter registration systems that have been hacked into. So there is some dangers there. But the the same world class uh, scientists and security experts who say do not vote on the Internet, do not vote on computers, do say that voter registration is a different story and that it can be uh, it can be done. Let's go to Enrique. Uh, you know, there are problems, but that it can be done correctly, unlike voting, which uh, which can't be. Enrique in Newport Beach. There you go. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you. I, I just have to make a, a comment to be a, to be a voter. You have to be a citizen. Residents can have license. And they are no citizen yet because I was one of them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you're going to weed one from the other. They never make a voter, uh, a, a person that is select, elected mm-hmm. to be a voter has to be a citizen and not just resident, legal or illegal, unless they have want to change the rules. And citizenship is, is not required for having a driver license. I don't know how you can differentiate citizens from residents to have mm-hmm. license because I drove for about 14 years sure. without being a, a citizen. So I see a, a, like if it's my day of thinking, well, we just register everybody that is, and uh, I don't think it's right. And, and, and Enrique, when, when you got your driver's license before you were a citizen, that's what yeah. you said, right? Did you uh, have a checkbox to say whether you were or weren't a citizen, or did it say on the driver's license whether you were or weren't a citizen? I don't recall. Okay. The thing I would have, I would advocate for any person eligible for, for voting should be obliged to vote, not only opt out or not. If you're a citizen and you're over 18, you should vote. And if not, there should be some punishment like uh, the, the city services or the state services should have some uh, extra payment if you haven't voted. Mandatory voting is what you're calling for. And we've actually we've talked about that as well on this show. I'm not a, favor, uh, a fan of mandatory voting. I think you have the right to not vote in this country. But as I pointed out, I am nothing if uh, uh, I am a uniter, not a divider. And if people really want mandatory voting... I will agree to it under these circumstances, Enrique. There must be a none of the above option on Absolutely. on every elect on every uh, uh, contest. And if none of the above wins, then none of the above wins, and they have to hold another election with different candidates. Uh, let me tell you something. Yeah, there, there is a, a comment in which they say that only the two parties, and they make it difficult for like Bernie Sanders. If he didn't win the the election, I feel really bad that I'm going to be helping him and trying to help him. And then, well, Hillary won. Well, whatever Bernie thought about is never going to appear. There should be somebody more to the left of Bernie that you say, okay, the people that doesn't want Bernie should have a four-party that is much more to the left than Hillary. That's for sure. I hear you. I, don't see that. I, I see that if Bernie loses, 
we're going to Hillary, and again, we're going to the two-party system that has been messing up everything. Because Hillary is just the same than every Republican in there, especially in the wars and, and foreign policy. All right. I would like, I would like to see a, four, uh, a fourth party. If Bernie doesn't win, that all the people that is with Bernie will go to some kind of the left to him. So... Uh, all right. He, he die with that. Thank you, Enrique. I, uh, I appreciate your thoughts on all of the above. Uh, let me go to, uh, oh, Carlos in, uh, in Carson. Uh, oh, Desi, you may, you, may be, uh, you may want to pay attention to this one. We'll see. Uh, Carlos in Carson, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Yeah, Brad. Uh, you know, I'm just wondering with this weather here, this extreme weather, do you suppose maybe the weather is being manipulated? I mean, there's uh, articles in the internet that allude to to uh, what, to uh, technology that that can manipulate the weather by sending electromagnetic waves to the to the uh, jet current and changing it and creating whatever weather you want. Wait, you know, there's, wait. Tarp in Alaska. Carlos, wait, 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 Carlos. You're saying there's articles on the internet that say this? Oh, yes. Look oh. weather manipulation. Oh, okay. Well, then that's that's pretty good evidence right there. That said, uh, why would uh, why would why would they want to manipulate the weather? Why would they want to do that, Carlos? Well, because there could be some sources out there that may want to will use it for commercial purposes, the population purposes. Let me give you an example. There was Hurricane Mitch in Central America in the 1980s or 90s that devastated all of Central America. Oh, Carlos, Carlos, uh, it's it's not your conspiracy theory that I'm getting rid of. It's the fact that uh, the phone sounds really bad, and I'm having trouble hearing you. Uh, I, you know, of course, I I know about the 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 theories concerning weather manipulation. Nobody's really been able to explain to me why they uh, would happen why it would be done, why the government would want to do it. And I've heard that uh, that that they're manipulating it to make it worse. They're manipulating it to cause hurricanes. They're manipulating it to, uh, you know, chemtrails, of course. And nobody can ever explain why. What would be the point in doing that? Uh, it would also take, as uh, Desi, you're, you rightfully point out there, it would take a huge conspiracy to do and yet nobody has come forward with any evidence of such a conspiracy. If there is any, um, I'm happy to see see it. Our My email address is bradcast at bradblog.com. Feel free to let me know uh, what that reason would be. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. I'm going to get back to uh, some of the phones in, in a minute. But I wanted to... Um, I was going to cover this earlier. Our computers went down. That kind of threw things off a bit. But let me see if I can pull some of this up. We have been talking over the past few days, and and you can uh, get any of our shows, by the way, uh, five days a week. We do them every day uh, at uh, bradblog.com. You can get them at kpfk.org in the archives if you missed any of them. We've had some really good, really interesting shows over the past few uh, few days. We were talking about, for example, the Iran deal. And uh, the guy who actually developed uh, the shock and awe theory, or at least the the military guy who is credited with coming up with the shock and awe theory, he is no uh, no left winger. Uh, he and uh, he came on this show a couple of days ago in support of the Iran deal to point out that even though and he doesn't clearly from this conversation, he doesn't like Barack Obama. He thinks Bernie Sanders is going to destroy the economy. That's exactly what he told me. But when it came to this Iran deal, 
He said, don't listen to the Republicans. This was Harlan Ullman, military strategist, again, the guy who came up with the uh, shock and awe theory. Uh, here's what he had to say about the Iran deal. I think that this agreement potentially is a strategic game changer for the positive. But we're at the early stages, and people will be coming out of the woodwork to try to sabotage it in Iran, in Israel, and elsewhere. This agreement, if it is enforced and if it works, gives all sorts of strategic opportunities that will make the entire world safer. And for whatever reasons, Republicans and Benjamin Netanyahu don't want to accept that, in large part because of their hatred and disagreement with the Obama administration. But a more objective view, I think, needs to prevail. And the problem in Washington is, you know, you can't be objective. If you stay in the middle of the road, you're going to get run over. And the left and the right are dominating politics in an obscene way, which makes rationality uh, a victim uh, to all this emotionalism. So how do we make it work? That needs to be the issue. But because the White House and Congress, Republicans and Democrats, uh, probably hate each other more than uh, we in Iran <laughs> do, uh, unfortunately, a broken government could become the upset uh, to really hazard this agreement. That was Harlan Ullman speaking on the broadcast earlier this week about the Iran deal. No lefty there and saying uh, he went on and on to say what an important and good deal this was. Uh, M.J. Rosenberg, uh, formerly an APAC uh, American Israel Public Affairs Committee staffer turned congressional staffer turned columnist. He also joined me this week to explain how APAC's uh, $20 million, maybe even $30 million campaign to defeat the Iran peace deal, and it is a peace deal, was not only a failure, their effort to kill this thing, but it may have also done in, done in APAC themselves, what had previously been regarded as the nation's uh, uh, most powerful Jewish lobby. Here's uh, M.J. Rosenberg talking about that on the broadcast earlier this week. Israel is the fourth strongest military power in the world. Why don't they take yes for an answer and say, look, Zionism succeeded, we have a state, it's secure, and let's, let's you know, take the last step that we have to take, and we should take, which is to make peace with the Palestinians, and then we've got everything. And that's not the way, that, that, that is the way a large percentage of Israelis think, it's the way most American Jews think, but this right-wing, we're talking about right-wing Jews in Israel and right-wingers here. They don't, they, uh, peace is not something that they believe in. Peace is not something they believe in. Uh, sounds about right to me. That was MJ Rosenberg in the broadcast earlier this week. Uh, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Roy in L.A. Hey, Roy, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, Brad, I want you to be the judge of this. I'm going to be real fast with it. All right. I'll be the judge. Nature has taken care of the human society on this earth all these years. It has taken care of all its environment, its growth, and everything. We have sequoia trees that are 3,000, 5,000 years old. Now, all these people that are doubting about this climate and what we have done to it, these climates, disbelievers, if nature could start five, five and Six thousand years ago, and put it out itself. Didn't burn no more than the overgrowth that it needed to, to burn. Yeah. Why are the polar caps melting? Why are the? I mean, that's the fire that's in California. They can't even control nor stop it right at this point. 
Well, yeah, and they're actually this. The fires up in California are actually threatening those very sequoia trees you talk about, uh, yeah, that's Roy. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. But you know what the whole thing is? You remember when Carl Sagan told John F. Kennedy, said, you're racing to get out and out of space, but if you break something, you damage something, or you tear something apart, you're not going to be able to fix it. And they went through that solar cap. They put a hole into this uh, Earth atmosphere. And now the climate has changed its whole direction. They have taken enough oil and stuff out of the, out of the Earth that the fence. That's where those rocks come together in the bottom of the Earth. That we are not going to be able to correct it. Uh, you're right. Thanks, Roy. I appreciate I appreciate your call. Yep, uh, putting Humpty Dumpty back together again. Uh, oh, we'll just do it with innovation. That's what Carly Fiorina says. Uh, no worries. Why worry? Innovate. Uh, we got it. All right, real, real quick. We'll take one more here. Uh, ben, uh, this concerns Ben Carson. Hey, Bob in Los Angeles. What's on your mind, Bob? Yeah, I was just wondering um, why do you think Ben Carson? Why Why do I think Ben Carson is a dope? Yes. Uh, well, he is a neurosurgeon, so I, I grant him that. Above and beyond that, yeah, he's a dope. Uh, he thinks that uh, uh, being gay is a choice, that because people, he says, go into prison, and uh, they go in straight, and they come out, and they're gay. So he thinks that they've made the choice to become gay somehow. He says that uh, he compares our society to Nazi Germany. He says that we live in a Gestapo age and people don't realize it. He said that the worst thing to ever happen to this country, I think, since slavery, is Obamacare. So, yeah, I think he's kind of a dope, uh, Bob. Don't you? Well, I've never heard those comments before. Oh, yeah. Go look him up. He's a dope. He is absolutely a dope. And I'd talk to you about it more and I tell you more of his dopish things. But I really do got to get out and get to a break or we're never going to get to our Green News report. All right. We're going to take a quick break here. Brad Friedman, this is your Bradcast. Stay tuned. Desi Doyen. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman for Bradblog.com. Hang on, Des. What, well, here's what, uh, uh, here here's what he said. Ben Carson said, you know, Obamacare is really, I think, the worst thing that has happened in this nation since slavery. Oh. Uh, and it is, in a way. It is slavery, in a way, because it makes us all subservient to the government. So, never mind 9-11. Never mind Pearl Harbor. Never mind World Wars, uh, World War One, World War Two, the Civil War, Native American that. genocide. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. Hey. never mind all of that. Uh, okay, hey Desi Doyen. Hey, uh, we got to get right to it. We're running yes, late. Yes, we, we are running late. So, all right. Did you fix the computer? No. Why did we... you break the computer? I always we... try. Okay. <laughs> uh, and you always succeed. Let's get to it. Our latest green news report. This fire and many others that have burned this year have been very destructive and there's no end in sight. California's all-time record heat and drought explode into more record wildfires. Oil is one of skirmish. 
uh, but they've lost the bigger battle. As the state succeeds in passing some, but not all, of its ambitious clean energy agenda. Plus, score one for the bees, appeals court overturns EPA's approval of a bee-killing pesticide. All of that buzz and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. While the Obama administration blames man and the burning of fossil fuels, there is not consensus. And you know that's true because Fox News keeps telling you so over and over and over again. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, climate change comes home to California here again as we continue this endless, hot, and dry summer. Yeah, I don't think this is what the Beach Boys meant when they talked about endless summer. First, California Governor Jerry Brown has declared a state of emergency after several fast-moving, massive, out-of-control wildfires in the region around Sacramento exploded in size over the weekend. As we go to air, 23,000 people have been evacuated, over 500 homes destroyed, at least one person killed, with several still unaccounted for. Cal Fire spokesman Dan Berlant, in an interview with CBS News, called these fires unprecedented. What we're seeing- here are extremely fast-moving wildfires with a little bit of wind and the dry conditions. They have been enough to burn at explosive rates and to have unprecedented amount of acres burn in such a short amount of time. Eight firefighters have lost their own homes in the wildfires. Many residents said they barely escaped with their lives. California's state fire chief said these fires are spreading faster than they have ever seen in their careers amid California's record drought and its hottest year on record so far. We have to truck in water from other areas. Our helicopters may have to fly further to get water. This fire and many others that have burned this year have been very destructive and there's no end in sight. And a new study finds California's drought is the worst in 500 years. Researchers at the University of Arizona put the current drought into historical context. They said that based on data from tree rings, the current drought is the driest California has been in at least 500 years. That's including snowfall in the Sierra Nevada mountains last winter that hit its lowest level in 500 years. In other words, the data shows the state hasn't been this dry since the days of Christopher Columbus. Yeah, but there's no consensus on that, says Fox. On the political front, in our last episode, we reported on how the oil industry's deceptive million-dollar ad campaign succeeded in killing off an ambitious provision in the California state legislature that would have cut the state's petroleum use. However, the oil industry could not kill the entire bill. California now has a new, official, legally binding goal of getting 50% of its electricity from renewable sources by 2030. The state is already halfway to that goal, and the legislation also sets a goal of doubling the energy efficiency of buildings with new incentives and revised building codes. Meanwhile, California Governor Jerry Brown said the battle with the oil industry has only intensified his resolve to ramp up California's leadership on climate change. On Monday, in a press conference about the wildfires, he said his climate change initiatives are not about burnishing his legacy, but about preparing for an uncertain future. I wish it were just, if it were just about me, then it would be a very trivial problem. But it's really about you. And it's about your children, and it's about the future of how our 
our society is going to function. And what we've seen in Europe now with mass migrations, that will happen in California. As the uh, Central America and Mexico, as they warm, people are going to get on the move. And it's, it's a real challenge. People are going to get on the move. If you think the right-wingers are upset about people coming into this country now, just wait until climate change really takes hold down there. Finally, score one for the bees in a major and almost unprecedented ruling. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has overturned the Environmental Protection Agency's approval of an insecticide that is part of a class of pesticides known to harm bees. The three-judge panel reversed the EPA's unlimited approval of the chemical called sulfoxiflor, made by Dow Chemical. The justices said the EPA's permit was based on flawed and limited data. They noted initial testing showed it was toxic to bees. According to agriculture policy experts, courts almost never overturned the EPA. And I thought the EPA hates business, has a war on coal, has a war on chemicals, has a war on everything that Fox News loves. Depends on who you're talking to, I guess. Apparently so. For much more on those stories and all of the other ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. You can download our reports anytime via iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. See? Bees. It's the bees. It's the bumblebees. Right? Get it? Got it? Good. All right. Uh, that just about does it for us uh, today. Uh, and I, I didn't even get to, you know what, I'll just point you to, uh, to bradblog.com, uh, my interview with uh, Shane Harris about the 50 intelligence analysts who are now complaining that someone, someone higher up in the military food chain is, in the food chain is changing their analytical reports on ISIS to make it seem the U.S. strategy uh, to com- to combat uh, ISIS is going better than it actually is. Yes, intelligence is reportedly being manipulated again. So you can uh, you can look that up at uh, kpfk.org in the archives or over at bradblog.com, where you can uh, catch today's show if you missed any portion or any other show. My thanks to uh, our producer Desi Doyen, to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess, to Kiana Turner. Our uh, soundboard op today who completely broke the computers just seconds before airtime. Well done, Kiana. Actually, uh, you went about fixing them somehow shortly thereafter, so you absolutely rock. Thank you. And my thanks, of course, to Jonathan Brader of the, uh, the Brennan Center's Democracy Program. We'll be back with you tomorrow with our full debate coverage, including a former Republican presidential candidate and our old friend Digby. They will be here on the Bradcast. Until then, find, find me and follow me on the Twitters at the Brad Blog. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey.